This is Beyond the Blue Wall. My name is Henderson Bloomer. Today we're talking to David O. David is a composer, musical theater artist, educator, and is currently the musical director for Mr. Saturday Night, a musical comedy starring Billy Crystal, now playing at the Nederlander Theater. David, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Henderson. Thanks for having me. Of course. So let's start with asking a few questions about where you are, what you're up to. Uh, it looks like for those who uh, will not see this in visual format, you're in a dressing room of sorts. Yeah, I'm in my dressing room at the Nederlander Theater. It was uh, more convenient for me to come in here today uh, to talk to you than uh, in the apartment where I'm living. So I, I came on down to the theater. Great. And uh, what is, for those of us who might not know uh, too much about musical theater, what are you doing as part of this musical? What is a musical director? So as the musical director for Mr. Saturday Night, I have been involved with the production for five or six years now, since their early stages of workshopping it, working with the writers and the cast on developing the material sort of slowly over the years. And then in rehearsal, my job is to oversee the developing musical expression of the show, to essentially teach the actors the songs, work with them on their performance of it. In addition on this show, I'm also the pianist. Um, so I'm primarily the accompanist at the piano through most of the rehearsal process. And then as we move into the theater, my job graduates in a bit. Uh, I become the leader of the band. Now in performances every night in the theater, I'm leading the band from the piano and conducting the show and keeping all the trains running. Yeah, that sounds like quite a few different things to have to manage all at the same time. Yeah. Um, but one of the things you said is that this has taken a number of years to put together. Yeah. Um, now, is that something that is normally part of the theater experience or does the last two years of, of COVID restrictions and limited social gatherings, has that impacted how the show is developed? Uh, I'd say yes and yes. Uh, it's normal for a, pro for a piece to take several years in development of, because uh, during that time, you're not necessarily the whole team working full time on it. You'll, <laughs> you'll have a couple of weeks, maybe a couple of times a year, or maybe once a year in which you're all together with the cast uh, workshopping the material. Uh, and in between that time, the writers are doing their own rewrites, but everybody's also working on other projects simultaneously over those several years. Then once we get into rehearsal, it becomes a full, for, for the actual production, it becomes a full-time job for everybody. And in addition, yes, we were greatly impacted by the pandemic. Uh, we were at one point uh, scheduled to open in early 2020, and we postponed for reasons first that had nothing to do with the pandemic, uh, but then clearly there was a much longer postponement while everybody waited to see when and if we would come back at all. So I'm really grateful that we are, and, uh, and here we are having a great time in front of audiences. Based on the, the reviews of the show, there's a much needed improvisational part of this Mr. Saturday Night production um, where the actors actually get to ad lib uh, and speak their own feeling as, as they are hearing the audience uh, respond to their performance. Does this impact how you do your job too? Absolutely. Yeah, uh, Billy Crystal in particular is a very, by nature, an improvisational performer. And he's 
a comedian, an actor who's playing the role of a comedian who was also an improvisational performer. We definitely have a script. The, the, the majority of the show is set, but within the structure, he's working in new jokes uh, often. And so it keeps me as the musical director at the piano, always listening for, okay, what's a little bit different tonight? How is this delivery tonight? What are these words gonna be that are a little bit different and it's gonna affect the way we get in, into and out of the songs. That sounds like a, a fascinating sort of dual collaboration of of taking two histories of improvisational styles, one coming from comedy and the other coming from music to, mm-hmm. to create this, this um, musical production. Uh, can you talk a little bit about your relationship with improvisation? And maybe we can talk a little bit about CalArts and education there. And if that influenced how you understand what improvisation is. It absolutely goes back to my work at CalArts as a student uh, directly. Uh, It's where I was introduced to improv theater uh, and was part of the on-campus improv troupe as an actor called Caught in the Act, which then the same group uh, continued once we graduated, and we called ourselves uh, Someone Stole Our Name. Uh, we were going to call ourselves Claudia Stole Our Name, but we decided not to indict Claudia that directly, uh, we, although we, maybe we should have. But uh, uh, through my work with those groups and those fellow artists really built my skills and, and familiarity with doing improvisational theater, both as an actor and as a musician, because in addition to being an actor in the group, I was also always the leader at the piano right so so that that experience specifically you are understanding and performing as an actor and really coming into that full experience but at the same time still developing the the musical talent and learning how to work as a group with thinking on the music side and also being able to understand where the actor is coming from and that's one of the ways in which my actor training at CalArts makes me a different musical director now, uh, because I'm always aware of and trying to put in the forefront of my mind what each actor's process is and, and where they're coming from. And they, a lot of them have very different processes, but I'm familiar with various different ways of coming at the work as an actor. And that helps me work with them on how they're going to also come at it as a musician and a singer. Great. So you went to CalArts to do acting. Now, right. how, how did you find out about CalArts and what led you to come to the school? I grew up on the central coast of California in Salinas, California. Um, and in spite of it being a, a relatively small agricultural town, it was very culturally active. Um, there were there was a lot of music. There was a lot of performance. Uh, my family, in particular, uh, was a was a very musical family. My parents were a part of a singing group that that performed uh, up and down the coast, and we were all involved with the local community slash semi professional theater called the Western Stage. And a good friend of the family was the technical director at the Western Stage during the years that I was in high school, and we mentioned that. I was looking for actor training programs for college, and he strongly recommended CalArts as an actor's conservatory at that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I looked into it, and I really fell in love with it and uh, auditioned and, and was accepted. Playing piano was, I thought of more as a language that I spoke. 
I never really considered it something that would likely be such an important part of my career. I think if I had, I might have made some different choices in terms of what I chose to study. But I'm really glad that I have the actor training that I do have. And that, uh, you know, once, once I graduated, I, I was offered more work as a pianist in the theater than as an actor, but a lot of both for a while. Uh, but that evolved over the years to a career of what I'm doing now, music directing uh, primarily, but also arranging and composing. Can you provide some details to some of those early opportunities and how you really started to find your footing in the professional world? There was a wild variety of stuff that I did, that I had the opportunity to do from LA Shakespeare Festival, creating the musical scores for some of their productions. I also worked in a Cuban style salsa band. I also worked in a blues band. Uh, I continued my work with uh, Someone Stole Our Name while we existed in that form. <laughs> and I started to get, uh, get connected with work in the uh, LA 99 seat theater scene, primarily through friends that I went to CalArts with. And that circle of people continued on their career. And as they say, the circle rises. And so much of that early work was directly from collaborations with fellow CalArts alumni. Mm. Um, and one point about the 99 seat theater scene is that are there different gradations of, of capacity of, of audience size that, that you could maybe walk, walk us through just, just a little bit, not the whole history, but. There's all sorts of different business models for theater locally and nationally based on the size of the house. And I'm not familiar with the whole details of all of that, but uh, in Los Angeles for decades, um, there was a plan called the 99 seat theater plan, which allowed actors willingly to, willingly meaning on, on their own will, to work on a production uh, in a theater of 99 seats or less and agree to make less than what the normal union mm. wage would be. Uh, with the understanding that, hey, this is a thing that nobody's really making a lot of money on. And so everybody's doing it for the good of the work. And that plan existed for, for quite a while. Uh, and it was really thriving when I graduated from CalArts in the 90s and, and, uh, and then into the early 2000s. However, a few years back now, that equity put a stop to allowing those contracts to happen, which completely reshaped how the small theater scene in Los Angeles worked. Again, I'm not a scholar on all the details of it, but I was around for a lot of productions under that code. And still, although I'm here in New York now on this project, I'm still such close friends uh, and feel like I'm really part of the LA theater community. So I try to keep track of what's going on. The labor of love conversation comes up with a lot of how CalArts graduates participate amongst themselves and mm -hmm. do their own thing and create their own productions and understand how to make their own opportunities. And I think that's true across all the different schools. Actually, in fact, I was at an art school gathering where so many of them were saying, you know, we, we create our own gallery shows. We make our own space and put up our own work. And I think what you're, you're speaking to is also the CalArts uh, creates a, a CalArts creates a model where a group of CalArtians can put together a production and know how to do everything from start to finish. 
Absolutely. And that's then that goes back to what some of my most valuable experiences at CalArts were, uh, were productions that, you know, I and my fellow students uh, produced ourselves, which was encouraged by and fostered by the theater school and the institution as a whole. Are there some things from the CalArts experience, certain ways of performing that are different from colleagues who did not graduate from CalArts? Yes, absolutely. In particular, there was there's a uh, there's a Facebook group that I've been involved with. That's a, a group of uh, professional uh, theater musical directors, and it's a it's a quite lively group. And we're sharing information and celebrating each other's work, and also asking for advice, and sometimes getting into um, some heated debates. And this one particular debate a few years back, the question was does a character in the musical theater know that they're singing? And I said, well, of course they know that they're singing. How can you sing and not know that you're singing? <laughs> it's, it, would be, it would be ridiculous. Uh, and I got ganged up on by this entire group of musical directors, primarily from around America, but also you know the, the English speaking world and beyond, I guess, in which they said, that's ridiculous. How, you know, how can it, in what kind of bizarre, absurd world would a person break out into song? I said, well, in the bizarre, absurd world of musical theater <laughs> that we all work in. Uh, and, and this went on for quite a while. And I realized that it came back to my actor's training. You know, and I remember, and I go back to my earliest actor studios at CalArts with BJ Dodge, with Roger Henderson, uh, may he rest in peace, with Lou Poulter. And I remember so much of the emphasis being on everything that the actor does on stage is a choice. And it's a choice of the character and the characters choosing to do things to achieve their goals. And so I translate that into, well, singing is something that they're doing on stage and they should be singing to achieve their goals. And if they sing a high B, then they've got a really intense goal that they've got to meet by singing that high B. And it all makes complete sense to me. It's how I tie the singing work to the acting work. But I learned that that apparently no other musical directors in the world think this way, <laughs> or at least none who are on that Facebook group. <laughs> right. Well, I, I think that um, there are a lot of things to be said for musical theater to be its own world, and you have to play in the logic of that world. Yeah. Um, it makes a lot of sense when you explain it. How are things going with this current production? Uh, they're going amazing. It's been a wonderful group of people to collaborate with from uh, Billy uh, and his uh, fellow writers, Babalu Mandel and Will Gans, our director, John Rando, the composer, Jason Robert Brown, who is a longtime friend and collaborator of mine, uh, who is the person who brought me into this show, who I'm very grateful to for that, and who's been a great partner on the whole process. Uh, and the lyricist, Amanda Green, just a, a wonderful team of writers and performers from top to bottom. People have asked, what's it like to work on Mr. Saturday Night? And I say, open up the program and point to any random name in there. And they're a wonderful person to work with. And I'm not exaggerating. It sounds like BS that you say about a show that you're working on to promote it, but it's the absolute truth. And uh, that's been true of the process from, from day one of walking into the first workshop. Is there anything you feel like we haven't shared yet that you would, you would like to, to speak about? This is all hitting home for me right now that we're having this conversation because I learned this last week that 
I just hit my 30th anniversary of my CalArts graduation, which it wasn't in, which it wasn't on my radar at all until a friend was talking about it online. And also this last week, my son uh, just graduated after four years at Berkeley College of Music in Boston. So I'm really thinking a lot about what it was like for me uh, and what it's like for him, for my son, Caleb, to come into the world saying that you're an artist and uh, thinking a lot about uh, my journey since then and everything that's gotten me here, thinking about the, the new generation like my own son. And so I'm really appreciating this chance to talk to you today about all of it. I think you've shared some important things about your experience that would speak to a newer uh, graduating generation, people who are just starting to get their careers out into uh, the public. Is there anything else about how you... Uh, understood yourself as an as an artist at CalArts that you found later on might necessarily not have been true as you started working? I mean, one thing that was absolutely very clear, uh, but not necessarily immediately crystal clear, um, was that I was not really cut out to be an actor. <laughs> uh, uh, even though that's what I entered the program as, and that's what I graduated as, relatively quickly uh, upon entering the, I don't know, adult workforce, I, I, I realized that I didn't really have the temperament to pursue the acting gig in terms of auditions, looking for managers and agents, uh, and everything that's impressed upon young actors to do to begin their careers. I did some auditions, but never really had the motivation or the determination needed to really go into that, uh, to really dive into that process and set myself up for that kind of uh, rejection, uh, which actors deal with all the time. And while, that, while I was having that slow realization over the years, really, my work as a musician in the theater, and then also in education and some of the work that I've done in choral music, uh, that all blossomed, ultimately surpassed what I thought I might ever do as an actor. So that's one thing that's changed a lot. It's, it's just my perception of what kind of art I contribute to the world. Mm. And when you're speaking about education, you, you work as an educator, and how do you teach? It depends on what I'm teaching. I've been involved with a number of different kinds of educational projects. Uh, one of the major ones is I helped create the educational outreach program of the LA Master Chorale called Voices Within. And then a subsequent program, which was based on the Voices Within work, but with older students called the Oratorio Project. And in both of these projects, uh, we work with students with Voices Within, with fifth graders, generally, uh, and with the Oratorio Project with high school students. Uh, and we work with them on collaboratively writing songs and musical material, uh, small, short songs for the fifth graders and an entire performance-length oratorio for the high school students. And working with kids who don't necessarily have a musical background, 
on composing music, on writing lyrics, on marrying the two, has given me such uh, a really different insight into the work um, because we have to break it down to the most simple level, which is that a melody is a series of pitches and rhythms. And you can really craft that one pitch and one, one note at a time, um, which seems silly to say, which is, of course, you do that. But thinking of it that simply really impacted my own work as a composer and an arranger. Mm. Yeah, and I, th- I think you've also touched on that musical education uh, is, is at a point where it, it really doesn't have the same support it did from the the actual curriculum in the school, like the the right. time given for producing creative projects is n- not in the the traditional school system anymore. It, the consumption of it is everywhere. Uh, we are consuming that kind of musical aud- auditory content constantly, and. Uh, without the ability to understand what is happening, we're we're losing a little. Sound a little stodgy here, but we're losing a little bit of <laughs> what it is to to participate in culture. Absolutely, absolutely, and that's something that I feel really strongly about. That's something that should be preserved. When I was a kid, I was singing all the time, including in school. You know, we had school. We had choir class, I want to say, at least once a week in which we were learning songs and, and, and singing them as a group. And, and, uh, and then, of course, you know, in my own family, there was a lot of singing in church. There was also a lot of singing outside of church. There was, the, the, as I mentioned before, the group that my parents were involved with that was performing all the time. So it was just something that in my family in particular we did, but also as a community we did it. And now, uh, when I go into schools uh, with the Voices Within program, uh, we meet fifth graders, and many of them will never have sung out loud once in their life. And so we're breaking through sometimes emotional barriers that they may have to actually opening up their voice and singing. I, I would love to just hear about some of the places, the the atmosphere of singing choral music in Central Valley, like the early morning going to church and having to warm up the vocal cords and inevitably what is like a creaky building, like those kinds of things. Like (laughs) I I just am interested in what those places were like experientially. Funny, my mind immediately goes to the the traumas involved with high school church choir, but... um... (laughs) Trust me, I, I did high school choir as well. And there, there were, yeah, certainly some <laughs> in front of everyone. Some of the things I remember, I do remember getting up first thing and going to an early morning choir practice or, or, or preparing, for a, preparing for a recital. That, that might be like at 10 in the morning or something on a Saturday. <laughs> uh, and just feeling like the, you know what it, it imparted on me was that the ritual of performing uh, is something that normal people do. People get up and they 
put on their tie and sing in a choir, or they uh, go backstage and get in their costume uh, and get ready to perform a play. This was something that grownups do, that parents do, that friends do, that other kids do. And that is so valuable now as an adult professional performing artist, as just growing up with that sensibility that this is a, a normal routine for people. Of course, uh, they know and, they're singing. Right, right, right. Uh, and, and, and within that routine, you have the thrill of, of performing for people and, and bringing them joy or, or, or tears or rage or whatever the performance is going to bring people, uh, uh, that you're part of that collective experience. Yeah. Uh, and that was an amazing blessing to grow up with. Yeah. Um, that definitely uh, blossomed uh, at CalArts, where that sense of performing and creating art is something that normal people do into this intense four-year experience in which all these people were there to do exactly that and only that. And uh, the normal people became people who were really letting their freak flags fly. And, you know, that became something that normal people do too, (laughs) Uh, is be as freaky as they want to be. And that's something that was really, really great about the CalArts experience. Well, David, it's been wonderful having you on the podcast. Is there anything else that you'd like to shout out before we go? Uh, No, I just want to say thanks so much for having me. Um, Shout out to uh, fellow CalArts alumni from uh, from all the years past, uh, including current ones uh, who are just graduating this week. Uh, Welcome to the community of artists in the world. Thank you so much, David, and I hope things keep going well for you. And we'll see you next time Beyond the Blue Wall. Beyond the Blue Wall is a production of CalArts Advancement.